we still have to do activities of daily life just some to... sort of activity when we do make these steps and try to have conversations we're gonna make mistakes and it's not a linear process right hey everybody welcome to another episode of queer tampa i'm ren and i'm jay and we are so happy to be back with you we missed you if yeah, i'm being honest definitely missed you not, Not sure if you guys have been watching the news or anything, but um, there's been a pandemic. So, you know, that's why you probably haven't heard from us that much. There's been a lot going on and some, there's been a wrench in our plan of, you know, having a lot of podcasts blasting out to you guys. So <laughs> you might think that there would be a little bit more coming out, but yeah. no, it just has, that's how quarantine has been kind of going in our household. Yeah. Um, and also, obviously, there's been some civil unrest. We are living through the biggest civil rights movement of, like, ever. So today's podcast is really going to be some resources, emotional resources, and, like, literal tangible resources that you guys can use in order to survive this emotionally and physically and really be showing up for yourself mm -hmm. and also for our community for people that we really care about. So before we kind of start diving into all of that, though, we got a lot of questions from you guys yeah. about surviving quarantine with your spouse. Well, so <laughs> lucky for you, <laughs> you're talking to the right people. <laughs> so we wanted to give you guys some tips or at least just give you a peek into uh, our world. Yeah. So a brief history about Jay and I, we used to work kind of different schedules all the time. So we each had these separate like physical jobs that we went to and had different schedules. And so that's really how most of our relationship went for about like what, four or five years. Mm -hmm. And then when we started our company, <laughs> we both at the same time kind of went through career changes. So like Jay went full with our company. I went full-time working from home. Part of that was with another company and then for our company, but all of a sudden we were both at home 24-7 and it was a really hard transition. So I'm sure- What are you I talking about? I love that. <laughs> so I'm saying all that because I feel like that's what a lot of you are going through right now is, you know, you kind of get more space and right. you have all these daily interactions with other people who are like laughing at your jokes or like, Jay, you know, I know when you would go to the office, everybody was like gassing you up. Always. With how hot you are. Cause like, you're a really hot person. So, you know, you got a lot of compliments during, so did I, like right. I was a hairdresser, like <laughs> people love their hairdressers, mm. like, you know, and so then we went to being at home all the time. So like all of our interactions were kind of wrapped into each other. All of our like. It's a lot on your shoulders. It's a lot. So what tips, Jay, would you say would help people going through this right now? I would say, you know, if you're somebody that needs space, you'd probably have to establish those boundaries. I would say, you know, make sure you're upfront with how you feel. Because if you just keep everything to yourself and then you just kind of let everything get under your nerves, you're going to kind of flip out. I would say just kind of say what you need and, and do. Like if you're the kind of person that needs that space, go find something to do on your own and then come back. You know, it's also a tip that I learned from my therapist. So <laughs> if, I'm giving you some free, awesome information here. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And if you guys, you know, I don't know your relationship style. But I can share from our perspective what we've learned where it's like we're both kind of people pleasers in yeah. terms of like I want to do everything I can for Jay to have a good day. And like I know it's vice versa. She's doing yeah. everything she can to make sure that I have a good day and like be a thoughtful <laughs> partner. So what happens is this sounds really good in theory, right? Right. Of course. But it's like we're both going out of our way for the other person, but maybe we're doing things that they don't care about or that aren't actually important to them. Right. Maybe we're ignoring our own needs. So then we're pissed because they didn't read our mind and like, know that that's what we needed. Yeah. Like these are all things that we've kind of had to work through because like, it's just not sustainable going at that pace. No. And so it sounds so simple, but like I've learned, you know, over my lifetime that like simple never means easy. Usually the simplest things are like the hardest things to do, but it's like just literally being as blunt and forward as possible about like, look, I need to spend more like I locked quality time with you where when we're communicating, we're like 
staring in each other's eyes and we're like really present. And, you know, the more we can be direct, and I'm telling myself this because I'm not perfect at this. We literally were talking about this this morning. So it's like, so the more just like upfront and ridiculous you can be about like what you really need, I think it can avoid a lot of fights. Yeah. And I think just trying to be patient, you know, you, you, especially if you're just spending this much time together, you have to really just be patient because you're going to see things that maybe you don't normally see like behaviors or even like certain situations in each other that you're not used to maybe and maybe not but like you just have to be patient you know you're experiencing it together so give the other person a little bit of slack you're getting you're losing patience well maybe take a break maybe walk away for a second and think get your thoughts together and come back and have that conversation if it's something that you really need to do those are things that I've learned and this applies to quarantine. It's the same situation. It's just, obviously we've experienced this before quarantine. So mm-hmm. we're pretty much like, okay. But I think that everybody could, could really find that information useful. So I hope that everybody has survived quarantine together, but yeah, I'd like to hear some stories, like to know how everybody has been doing. Yeah, we would love to hear about it and we can feature it on our social media yeah. pages. So you can DM us and we'll um, showcase all of those stories. As we were talking about this, it made me think about our interview today with Steph where they share that anytime, like we're kind of going through this collective trauma. So like the pandemic is like collective trauma. We're all going through trauma right now. And there are, they outline kind of the different responses that we all go through when it comes to how we deal with that. So, you know, on top of having a relationship with somebody, you're also going to be seeing and learning about yourself, how your coping mechanisms are, you know, how good they are, how, you know, maybe harmful they are for you. You're just going to be learning a lot. You know, like Jay said, kind of giving each other a break because like, this is something none of us have been through before. We have never been through a quarantine before. We've never been through that with our spouse We've never all like been laid off of our jobs or suddenly working from home or feeling scared every time we leave our house and not hugging our friends. Like, so, you know, just having more compassion. Absolutely. Especially for the people that you care about. Why wouldn't you have compassion for them? (laughs) And even with friends, you know, if friends are struggling more or if they are needing more or even silent more, it's like, we are all really dealing with a lot. Then add on the layer of, trying to change the world on top of it and trying to break down these barriers on top of it. It's like, you know, we all just, it's a period of, it's just like a grace period, you know, it's almost like whatever, (laughs) we're going to just get through this together. I accept how you're going through it and I stand with you, you know, and we're going to get to the other side. So. I do believe that this is changing a lot of us in in a positive way. You know, I can see a lot of sides of some of my friends and, and myself, and I can, I can really see and, and, a positive evolution happening. And that makes me feel really happy. It's cool. It's really cool to see what people stand for. And it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's great. And to fight for something so important and see who else is doing that is, is um, definitely changing my perspective on a lot of things. And it's good to be open-minded and changing your view on things. Yes. Um, You know, with all of the civil unrest, obviously we have been doing what a lot of people are doing and taking stock of our efforts, our energies, where we're spending our money on a regular basis. Like we have really been in the pit of analyzing our lives and how anti-racist they are, you know, and how more, how much more anti-racist they could become with intention, right? And like really paying attention. What is happening right now to our, like to the black community is something worth standing up and fighting for. And so it's like, you know, yeah, pride is going to be different. Yeah. We, it's not the time to be waving our rainbow flags and like celebrating how gay we are, but it's like, this is so much bigger than that. And I am encouraged by how many people we do see taking stock of that and actually taking a stand. And making these small changes. I think like you were saying, it's like these small changes lead to big change. It's like, sometimes it feels so overwhelming. Like, oh my God, this is so huge. I feel crushed by the weight of how big this is. But when you make these little small changes, like by taking one minute and researching what you're buying every day and your food you're eating and the things that you're choosing every day and you, and you change it to maybe buy a black owned business or 
you know, you'd make that small change and you are impacting the world so greatly. And if you, whoever's listening could do something like that today, or maybe next week or whenever you feel like it, you know, you will be making a big change and it's great. It's a beautiful thing. And if we could all just maybe take the time out of our busy schedules to do those things, we could really make this world better. Like if we can all commit to stepping outside of our boxes and like Jay said, taking that extra five minutes, cause it's not like it's a huge at all thing that we have to do. Like we use Google every day. We're very resourceful people. Like, you know, so if we can commit to taking that five minutes before just taking the easy path that we've taken a hundred times. It's like a mindless path. Yes. And I think that's yes. the point is like, stop being mindless. And I'm not meaning that in a, like a rude way, but it's like, it is. Yeah. You know, just take a little extra time and just do it. So some of that looks like, you know, in our personal lives, having these hard conversations with our families Oh my goodness. Um, almost daily, right? Mm. I personally, there's a family chat going on. It's my brother, my wife, and then my parents. And we're <laughs> living there like all the time. Like, it's always going. Sharing articles back and forth and yeah. like challenging each other. But it's like, it's worth the investment of my time. You Absolutely. know, the mindless thing to do would be, oh, we just won't talk about it. Or anymore. they they have their, they're never going to change their mind. That's what I hear a lot of times. Well, they're stuck in their ways and they're not going to change their mind. Well, you know what? If you can impact them at all, you know, you never know. And then you're impacting your family. I'm impacting my family. And then maybe they're talking the, to people close to them. And then it's just like this domino effect. And that's obviously idealistic of me to think, but it's worth a shot. But it's like, I feel like they just, they deserve it. And I want to show up and help them. And when I have made mistakes in the past and said things from privilege or made things about the wrong thing and misspoken, it's like, we're all going to make mistakes. And it's like people lovingly corrected me and I want to be able to pass that on and pay that forward because I know how much that changed like my perspective and it opened things up for me. So it's like, I want to be able to help me, you know, help people do the same thing. And like my family is coming along. There is progress. They are, they are. And I just want to note that there are people out there that maybe don't have access to their family or they don't have a family per se. Like maybe they don't even speak and that's all right. Personally, I can barely get a hold of my mom ever. So when this is not preaching out to you this is not telling you what to do this is not any of that it's just really trying to kind of let you know this is important absolutely and it's like whatever your sphere of influence looks like whatever right. family means to you whatever any of that means to you it's just about finding your way to show up because like my way of having those conversations in my text chat that might not be your way. Right. That might not be like Jay saying accessible to you, but maybe meeting for coffee or maybe doing a family book club or maybe, you know, but like there is a way. I think that the only thing that is no longer okay anymore is not doing anything, not doing anything because we want to protect people or, you know, and do all of that. So, you know, it's hard. It's hard to talk about this. Like I feel like uncomfortable talking about this right now because I don't want to get it wrong. Like I don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. Um, but what I've learned is that like people are going to be bad no matter what you say. So get caught trying, get caught advocating for what you believe in. And I believe black lives matter. So do I absolutely 100%. And we want to be showing up imperfectly and in messy ways, but like we want to be doing this work. And if you are out there and you're a queer white person and you want to be doing this work, but you don't know how, or, you know, you're just feeling stuck or stunted, or you can't figure out what that looks like in your life because of, you know, maybe your queer identity, you already don't feel safe. It's like, please reach out to us and we'll find resources if we can't, can't help you directly. And we'll talk to you about it because what we've always wanted with this podcast is to share real stories about what it's like to live outside of the norm of society and to empower people to feel like they have community. Yeah. Yeah. And part of community is supporting each other through impossible or challenging things that we can't, you know, see ourselves. And like, so we're here for you guys is all that I'm saying in this (laughs) big long roundabout way. 
Having said all of that, our guest today on the podcast is a familiar voice. It is Steph from episode five, our queer wellness expert who owns Medicine Within LLC, their own therapy practice in St. Pete, Florida. And they are coming with some action-packed tips and resources for not only surviving the pandemic and being able to care for yourself as we're going through this collective trauma, but also for our queer white friends out there, how to be taking care of ourselves during this civil unrest and show up better. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this podcast. So let's get started. All right. And just one last note. Black Lives Matter. Hey, Steph. It's so nice to see you again. Start this off. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? So, hi. My name's Steph Ostro, and I am a registered mental health counseling intern and licensed massage therapist and yoga teacher. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I identify as transmasculine and non-binary. Okay. If you could, would you let people know what you do for the community? Absolutely. So as, as a therapist, I offer LGBTQPIA plus affirming counseling services. Um, my practice is body-centered, and I do mindfulness mental health therapy training with individuals and couples. And I, I work from um, a biopsychosocial perspective, and so a lot of my work involves looking at things through a sy systemic lens. And as a white person, um, my practice is grounded in, in anti-racist and, and intersectional theory. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, I, I'm also a yoga instructor and a massage therapist. And so oh, I practice. Yeah, I offer those those services too. So you got a lot of stuff that you offer that's really helpful for everybody. That's great. Yeah. And where are you located? I'm in I'm in St. Pete. So I have a physical office in St. Pete right now because of COVID. I'm offering virtual services. We've had you on before and yeah. you, did, you did mention, but if you could remind everybody the name of your, my your practice. Yeah. Yeah. So my practice is Medicine Within and Medicine Within is really like the perspective of my work and, and the work that I do with people. It comes from this perspective that our bodies give us feedback through sensations and that those sensations are wise. They tell us so much about what we need and so much about how to effectively move through the world. And unfortunately, there are systems in place that oppress us and, and they oppress our movement. That's one of the first ways mm -hmm. that that happens. And so when our movement is, is oppressed or suppressed, it separates our minds from our bodies. And, you know, in a, in a world where there are so many institutions that are telling us that they want us erased or disappeared or dead, mm -hmm. um, showing up and loving ourselves is a revolu revolutionary act. And so a lot of the work that I do is about um, being a witness and uh, supporting people through the process of taking their power back in various ways. It involves embodied movement and learning about consent and boundaries and communication, identity development, social emotional learning, and so much more. That's powerful, especially for minorities and for just people all around. That's beautiful. What 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 made you, what inspired you to to do this? That is a great question. It's a really loaded question. Is it? <laughs> it's a really loaded question. Um, someday I'll write a book about that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah, I I guess from a personal perspective, when when I was a young person, I I had a mental health crisis and it was required that I see a therapist until I was 18. Mm -hmm. um, and that therapist was just amazing. Um, and, I, and I recognize now what a privilege it was for me to, to have to go to therapy, <laughs> however long it was, um, and, and how much I gained from that. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the reason that I, I approach the work that I do from the angle that I do is because I was raised in the South in a biracial family and half oh, of my okay. family was super racist and wow. half of my family was black. And I had to figure out how to navigate that. And I knew that, for example, I was watching my cousin who was just a year older than me, um, who was, a, a is and was a black young man. And when things happened to him, 
he got treated incredibly different, right? Like he didn't get like, oh, you have to go to therapy Mm -hmm. until you're 18. He got like, if you do this again, we're going to, you know, either Baker Act you or we're going to, you know, send you to to jail. But yeah, so that's like a, a personal story that just shares why I do the way that I do. And, you know, I'm also, I'm, I'm a trans person and I uh, began medical transition at a time where there was a lot less resources available to trans folks. And so I feel really passionate about making sure that folks that um, are trans and non-binary have access to resources and don't feel uh, that they're being gatekept and that their identities are valid and that they have support. Yeah. Kind of going back to why I'm a therapist, to add one more thing, um, being a supportive witness and, and taking an active role in people's individual growth is what gives me hope. Yeah. And, and so that is really a big reason to kind of just sum all of that up. <laughs> is, <laughs> this is also probably a loaded question. Um, in what ways do you think that people can cope with what's going on in the current climate with COVID? And what are some stress techniques possibly that we could share with everyone? Okay, so coping with COVID and how to deal with stress. I am not a public health expert. Um, And so I can't speak a lot about COVID um, itself. What I can do is refer folks to the CDC's page on um, daily life coping and managing stress and anxiety um, because they do have some really good resources on there, as well as the World Health Organization's mental health and substance use page uh, that's related specifically to COVID-19. And so I guess there's a starting point with this. So as a therapist, I listen to a bunch of other therapists talk about things. Um, And so one of my favorites, and I I know that I'm not alone with this, is Brene Brown. And so for those of of you that don't know, Brene Brown is a researcher. She's a white woman. Um, She started her work as a social worker, and then she started doing shame research. And she wrote a book and she has a TED talk and she does podcasts. Um, And her content is incredible. I don't know what other word to use right now. And very enlightening. And so one of the things that she talks about is FFTs. Okay. Um, So FFTs are fucking first times. Cool. And so one of the major things I think to, to recognize about COVID is in our lifetimes, we've never experienced anything like this before. It's a fucking first time. <laughs> uh, it's a really big one. Right. Um, and so she says that there are some steps to dealing with first times. And those are recognizing that we're having a first time so that we can normalize the fact that it's, it's new. We're new at this. Like, mm-hmm. we have no idea what we're doing. We don't have enough information. At all. Um, yeah. <laughs> And, and then she says to put it in perspective. So knowing that you're going into something that you're new at or that you don't have a lot of information about, you're still learning, like adjust your expectations. You know, you might have gone out last week without a mask before you knew that you needed a mask. And now you know you need a mask. So once you know better, do better kind of thing, right? So adjust your expectations. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to screw up. And that's okay. It, it's not like, a moral failing to make a mistake. The important part is recognizing that you've made the mistake and, and fixing it. And that's right. how we learn. It's a super important part of how we learn. And then the last step that she says is reality checking. So it's really easy when we're having a first time to get in our head and beat ourselves up about wanting to be perfect or do something really well or you know all of these sort of things. And when it comes to COVID, it's like wanting to correct all of these social behaviors, like feeling anxious in the grocery store and, you know, bumping into somebody or being like, no, stay six feet away from me and all of these things, right? So adjust your expectations and, and really touch base with reality. Like there are some things that are going to happen that are going to be uncomfortable. We're in, we're in this together and we're learning and growing and that's where it is. That's good. Very helpful. Um, 
Yeah, and I'll talk about Brene Brown too a little bit later, um, specifically with the FFTs. But the other thing that I wanted to talk about in relationship to COVID-19 and how to cope with the stress is offering some information about the experience of this collective trauma mm -hmm. um, and trauma responses. And I might tear up here only because earlier I received a message from somebody that was so sweet and was thanking me for some, I don't create content often, but occasionally I do. And I created some content on trauma responses and it impacted this person so much. They sent me a message to tell me it helped them feel empowered to start their own po podcast about um, healing their trauma. That's and beautiful. Yeah. So if I tear up, that's why. <laughs> um, trauma responses happen when our nervous systems are overwhelmed by something that's happening. And it, can, it doesn't need to be violent, um, which is something that sometimes people um, have a misconception about. It's a myth. Trauma doesn't need to be violent. And so when we experience something that is so overwhelming that our nervous systems don't know how to deal with it, our nervous systems are incredibly intelligent and they have these responses. They want us to uh, fight and overpower whatever it is that is overwhelming us. Um, they want us to run away or flee from whatever it is to get away from it and have some distance and space. They might tell us to freeze. The freeze response is actually um, where PTSD comes from. And sometimes they tell us that we need to uh, fawn, which is a way, another word for appease. They want us to make the situation better. So kind of people pleasing and doing whatever it takes to avoid conflict and make things better. Okay. So those are the four primary ways that uh, we know of thus far that our nervous systems respond to trauma. And, and fawn, so, fawn makes sense. That's the, I have not heard that part. I've only heard the fight, yeah. fight or freeze. So that's really cool. So thanks for explaining that. Yeah, absolutely. There's, um, there's some new research that's come out and I think that it's still kind of working its way around and kind of getting out to people. So yeah, cool. Thank you. When, when we think about COVID and as a collective trauma, we realize that individually, each of us are having one of these reactions. Right. And then, you know, if we live alone, maybe we don't experience this as much as if we live with other people where the, we're having our own trauma response and then the people that are in our space uh, or that we share space with rather um, are having their own responses too. And mm -hmm. sometimes they clash. And even if we live alone, right, we still have to go out and get groceries. We still have to do activities of daily life. Just Some to... sort of activity. <laughs> yeah. And so, and even if you're at home and like ordering all of your things to come to your door and not really interacting with anyone face to face, you're still interacting with folks with, through social media mm -hmm. and, and so on and so forth, right? So those uh, trauma responses come through in our communication. Yeah, recognizing where we are. Um, is is a big a big piece there. Touch starvation right now, which for so many folks, um, especially folks that live alone or don't like to be touched in general, but have like a few close friends that they allow in their space um, and aren't having that kind of closeness right now because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Touch starvation can lead to depression, an increase in anxiety, insomnia. Touch is, is so important in our development that when babies are born prematurely and they need um, assistance growing, we learned in the, in the 90s that keeping them in incubators is, is not as great as holding them. So that's why we now hire people at hospitals to hold premature babies so that it encourages growth. So touch is, is super important for our development. It's super important in terms of releasing uh, bonding hormones. Uh, oxytocin and mm -hmm. serotonin and dopamine all get released in our brains and trigger different kind of um, reactions and feelings and thoughts mm -hmm. um, when we receive touch. And so that's something um, that it is important to be mindful of. Are, are you feeling lonely right now? And right. if you are, are you also feeling touch starved? Um, and there are ways to work with that um, where you can still feel safe. Um, and so a lot of that has to do with um, checking in with your senses. So 
touching things. Like I keep fuzzy pillows around me all the time because I like to uh, pet them. <laughs> That's so <laughs> and, cool. Yeah. And um, so checking in with your senses, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you smelling? What are you tasting? What are you touching? And really using that to come back into the present moment when you realize like you're lost in thought or out, just out of it. That's a really great technique. That's a, that is good. How are you, how could you recognize if you're somebody that, that has that, but you, you're not sure if you, like, what if you're, cause you're saying there are certain types of people that have that touch starvation. What if you don't, you're not aware that you have that? Yeah. So one great way to check in with ourselves when we're unsure um, what we're feeling or what we need is an acronym called FALT. It's P-H-A-L-T. Um, and this is an adaptation from the DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, um, kind of self-check-in that is called HALT. And so it's five questions. And the first one is, am I in pain, physical or emotional? And the second one is, am I hungry or dehydrated? The third is, am I angry or are there other emotions that I need to check in about? The fourth is, am I feeling lonely? And the fifth one is, am I tired? Am I exhausted? Do I need to get some rest? And so when we check in with the P-H-A-L-N-T, um, the two that stand out the most for folks dealing with touch starvation are um, being in pain, physical pain, and uh, lonely. And so if, if you're feeling a lot of muscle aches, body tension, restless legs, um, high anxiety, because um, anxiety manifests in the body too with like that shaky feeling and um, nausea and feeling like you, you can't concentrate because um, there's too much going on. Um, so if, if you're feeling pain in your body that's manifesting in those ways, or you're feeling lonely, which can feel like I've got a hole that nothing can fill. Mm -hmm. um, or like, just, I don't want to get out of bed and I don't want to do anything. I have no motivation. The, those, those are signs that you, you may be experiencing some touch deprivation, especially right now. These are great. So thank you for sharing that. I'm sure yeah. a lot of people will find that very helpful. Of course. And, you know, usually I would say a, another way to work with touch deprivation would be to get a massage. And, and there are a lot of um, spas open right now that are, are taking very serious precautions um, regarding COVID. So I still do recommend that if you feel safe enough um, to, to do that. I am not currently doing massage. However, um, I do plan on reopening for massage in the next month or so. That's great. Okay. Well, keep us updated for when you do. Absolutely. Okay. So I just want to start off by saying I identify as a white queer person and I'm talking to you and you also identify that way as well as a yeah. white queer person. My question for you is how can you call your peers into a conversation of this caliber? Yeah. So I want to offer a content heads up to any folks of color that are listening to know that the answer to this question is going to involve some processing from and between white folks about race and about violence against black people. And that I want to honor that respite and um, refuge from those kind of conversations uh, is really important because they can be traumatizing for folks of color to listen to. And, and so I want to give folks that are listening the opportunity to step away from, from this part of the podcast if they need to. So there are so many layers and I'm only speaking, you know, for myself, I can't speak for anyone else. And there is a layer where COVID and the um, protests for Black lives that are happening right now are inextricably connected. There's a huge intersection there because there's healthcare disparities that are being exposed and there is police brutality that's being even more exposed. Um, and there, there's that piece, and that is something that a lot of public health experts have come out and spoken about and have spoken in support of uh, the protests for Black Lives uh, for that reason. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so I feel like that's important to say. And I also feel like it's important to say that right now it's Pride Month. And right. knowing that, that it's Pride Month and there are these layers of current events that have a deep-seated history. Part of that deep-seated history is that our ability to be liberated white queer folk comes at the expense of a lot of police brutality against queer Black folks. You know, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera are icons within the community for that reason. Um, They needed to be honored sooner, and here we are. I think it's important to, to address those two things. When it comes to calling people into conversation about white supremacy and police brutality and uh, violence against uh, black and brown folks. I, I think that the first thing that needs to happen is that we have to admit for ourselves as white folks that we are white folks that have been raised in a society that uh, is is founded upon white supremacy. And therefore, we are inherently racist not by choice, but uh, the choice we do have is to actively unlearn and dismantle those systems and institutions that uphold white white supremacy. That's our responsibility. Um, There's a brilliant uh, neuropsychologist called Dan Siegel who has written many books. And in one of his books, there's a quote, and I don't know why I have the image of this page in my head, um, but I do. And he has said that we're, he was talking about um, intergenerational trauma and epigenetics, which is another piece of this conversation that we could maybe go into a, another time. But he, he was talking about how we as white folks, and, and I may be, I want to admit this, I may be taking this out of context. I think this may be my interpretation of it, and I'm paraphrasing him. I'm not exactly quoting him. Um, He said something to the effect of, we are where we are, and we didn't choose it. We would never come here by choice. But now that we're here, it's our responsibility to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And so there's that piece about calling people into conversation before we can have a conversation and communicate about anything. We need to have a good um, understanding of ourselves. And, and so that's important. And then part of that is that we can't confront what we're denying. And, and, you know, James Baldwin has a great quote about this exactly where he said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. And when we're talking about mental health, mm-hmm. um, what comes to mind for me is the stage, stages of change. And one of the stages of change is recognizing the, the need for change. And in that recognizing the need for change, we have to accept what is in the, in the present. So coming to terms with what's actually happening. So as white folks, as queer white folks, we need to have conversations with ourselves first and foremost, and then conversations with each other. And it's not a linear process, right? So sometimes we have like a little conversation with ourselves and a big conversation with somebody else. And sometimes we have a little conversation with somebody else and it turns into a huge conversation in our own mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that first step is recognizing, you know, that there is a problem and that we're part of the problem. It's important to also note that when you do these things, because that's perfect what you're saying. When we do make these steps and try to have conversations, we're going to make mistakes. You know, people are going to freak out. People are going to be uh, very sensitive or, and, you know, things are going to happen no matter how nice you are, but you just have to take that and learn from it and do better next time. And so this is where Brene Brown comes back in with the FFTs. If, if you're a queer white person, white queer person, person that is queer and white, um, <laughs> if this is your fucking first time confronting and um, coming to grips with your whiteness, then it's your fucking first time. Yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna make mistakes. 
it's yeah. going to be challenging and hard and you need to adjust your expectations and recognize that it's your fucking first time and that's okay. I think there are a lot of folks that are perfectionists that uh, want their fucking first time to like, for everything to just like blow it out of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, I've definitely been there before. We grow through our failures though, mm-hmm. as long as we are in supportive community. And that's, that's important too, right? That is very important. Um, we, each of us, and this is something that, and, and that is that within each of us as people, there are marginalized and um, privileged identities. The issue is that some of us can hide our marginalized identities and walk in the privileged lane much, much more often than others, mm-hmm. or rather move in the, in the privileged lane much, much more often. Um, and, you know, I can speak for myself. I'm male passing, right? And I'm white. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a lot, I take up a lot of space in the privilege lane. Like I, I do, that is just because of my existence. Some of it, I have control over it. And some of it, like I was, this is me. I was born this way. <laughs> um, and, and so the choice comes in with, well, what am I going to do about that? Because I have responsibilities based on things that I didn't choose. It's very important what you're saying. I think a lot of people are missing that part. And, and to connect it back to mental health, um, there is a psychologist. Uh, she is a black woman. Her name's, uh, and I, I may not be saying her first name right because I've not heard her say her first name. Um, it's uh, Thema Bryant Davis. Um, and she has a short YouTube video um, that addresses therapists. And there was something that she said that really stood out to me. And it's that in the mental health field, there are so many more white folks than there are people of color. And that is due to, you know, institutionalized racism and folks of color, black folks not being able to get into schools because of that and economic disparities and redlining. And, you know, there's a whole history there that could be a, a and is a TED talk. But (laughs) so the reality is that right now we have a ton more white therapists than not white therapists. And therefore, uh, it's incredibly important for white therapists to say and acknowledge their whiteness and their privilege and also actively do like this internal work, right? To dismantle it and do the external work, uh, signing protests, voting, um, showing up at protests when we're available to, um, being present, how we're present with clients, like this affects everything. Mm -hmm. And, and so, um, she talks about, about that. And I, I feel like that kind of ties into this conversation. Yeah, it does. Um, there, I wanted to offer some, some resources um, because I feel that the, the sustainability of the movement for Black Lives is going to be highly dependent on people, on white folks, taking responsibility and, uh, and, and doing things. And I also feel that the sustainability of, of the movement for Black Lives is highly dependent upon each of us honoring our limitations and seeking support. Because if we burn out now, then the movement's not sustainable. So self-care is incredibly important. So that's another thing. And I think a major thing uh, that, that white queer folks um, can call their peers into conversation about. Like if you see your friend not taking care of themselves, is that what you mean? Yeah. If you see, if you notice that your friend, um, like, I don't know, hasn't showered in four or five days or that your friend has been posting nonstop and is engulfed in the news, you know, yes, we need to be aware. And we also need to take care of ourselves because if, if we don't take care of ourselves, the ripple effect that we have around us and the impact that we have in our lives 
gets smaller. We think that when we overwork that that impact gets bigger, but that's not true. It actually gets smaller when we overwork ourselves because we drain ourselves of resources quicker. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there a good way to start certain kind of conversations like that? Um, you know, I feel like people know themselves and their friends better than I do. <laughs> and then some, there are some resources, like specific organizations I, I wanted to list. Um, okay. and, and so there's Surge Tampa, Showing Up for Racial Justice. Um, and these are organizations that you can like follow on Facebook and um, that also actually like do direct action type of things. And so there's Mutual Aid Disaster Relief, M-A-D-R. There's Food Not Bombs. There's St. Pete for Peace. And then both Hillsborough and Pinellas County have an urban league. And then, and th these are just the resources that I'm privy mm -hmm. to. Like there's a ton more out there that I either didn't have the time and or don't know about. <laughs> and and so then there there are national organizations and I'm only going to name two and and that's the NAACP and the NAAPB the uh, National Association Against Police Brutality. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, so those are two two national resources that um, they release information and uh, and things like that. Great, appreciate that. How can people find you? So folks can find me um, in a couple different ways. I have an Open Path Collective profile page. Uh, Open Path Collective is a collective of therapists that offer um, reduced rate services. And it costs, I believe, $50 or $60 to join Open Path. But once you join Open Path, you have a lifetime membership and access to this network of therapists that's all over the country. Wow. I've um, never heard of that. That's really cool. Yeah, it's an awesome mental health resource. And then I have a Psychology Today profile page as well. Um, Therapy Den, I am getting set up with. Therapy Den is, is similar to Open Path. I can't speak too much on it because I'm new to it. Okay. And then you can find me on Instagram at Medicine Within LLC is one word. And you can find me on Facebook at Medicine Within LLC, three words. Um, and you can also visit my website. It's uh, www.mymedicineiswithin.com. Awesome. Well, um, if there's one thing that you would want someone to take away from this episode, what, what would that thing be, do you think? I'm not going to take any credit for this. There's someone named Craig Crippen. I don't know much about him. I only know this quote. However, when I heard this quote, uh, it felt extremely relevant and got me interested. And so it is on my to-do list um, to read more of this person's work. So the, the quote is, you're being presented with a choice, evolve or remain. If you choose to remain unchanged, you will be presented with the same challenges, the same routine, the same storms, the same situations until you learn from them, until you love yourself enough to say no more, until you choose to change. If you choose to evolve, you will connect with the strength within you. You will explore what lies outside of the comfort zone. You will awaken to love. You will become and you will be. You will have everything you need. Choose to evolve and choose to love. That is so beautiful. I love it. Thank you Isn't for sharing it? that. Yeah. Of course. Um, I just had like a flyaway thought that I want to kind of try to retrieve. So this is connected to the conversation regarding the question of what can queer white folks do to call in their peers to conversation about mm -hmm. um, the movement Making of Black Lives, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that is, as white folks, we often get defensive, like you were saying, about mm -hmm. our whiteness, right? When someone says like, oh, well, you have white privilege, it can feel like we're being insulted. And it's important for us to recognize that our power is being challenged. And that's where the defensiveness comes from, because um, we're used to having that power, right? So that's like a natural thing that happens when right. someone's power is challenged, is this defense. And so when that happens, recognizing that maybe you just need to like take a deep breath or a mm -hmm. sip of water or go to the bathroom and then come back and continue the conversation 
so there's that, but there's also this thing that I don't know if it gets talked about enough. And that is, as white folks, we have suffered through being whitewashed as well. We have lost uh, a cultural identity that has to do with our ethnic origins. And because we have been whitewashed and don't have access to those ethnic origins, we colonize and we take the, the um, culture of other people and try to say it's our own. One of the many whys of like why white supremacy is a thing. This whitewashing is very intentional and deliberate and it's this illusion of power um, interspersed with um, the real power that we get from the institutions that uphold white supremacy. That's, I've never heard anybody talk about that. Yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's another thing that, that I feel like is an, um, a productive and or effective thing to call other white folks into conversation about, Mm -hmm. you know, Hey, do you know what your, uh, ethnic origins are? Like, tell me about your history. And, and some of us do like, some of, the, some of us have done very intentional work to learn more about that and to learn, like, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Do you feel like people are just scared of it, or do you feel like they just are being lazy about it, or what do you think? Focusing on other things? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think that <clears> – <throat> I don't know that – I feel like it's one of those things that I don't even know that a lot of folks recognize that they are doing it. Right. Like, how many times do you – we get forms, right? And they say race and they <laughs> say Caucasian or white. They don't say like, are you of Jewish an- ancestry? Are you Panamanian or like all of these, are you, you um, oftentimes Latina or Hispanic is mm-hmm. on a form, but then we think like there are so many white passing Latina and Hispanic folks. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's like all of these layers. Um, It's almost like a conditioning that happens where you just like kind of just follow the, you don't even think about, I know personally, like I never even think about it. So I wonder if. Are you Irish? Are you German? Are you Italian? Are you Sicilian? Are you Greek? Are you, you know, like there is a rich culture in all of those and we have been divorced by that. And I think that's very purposeful. Thank you for, for talking about that. Yeah. It's worth talking about for sure. So thank you. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, of course. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Love it. All right, Steph. Well, thank you so much for coming to the show. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I look forward to talking again. All right. Have a good one. Thank you so much. 